Ever wonder what psychologist moms talk about when we get together? Whether we're consulting one another about a challenging case or one of our own kids, or just leaning on each other when parenting feels hard, because trust me, even when we do this for a living, it's still hard. Joining me each week in these special Thursday shows are two of my closest friends, both moms, both psychologists. They're the people I call when I need a sounding board. These are our unfiltered answers to your parenting questions. We're letting you in on the conversations the three of us usually have behind closed doors. This is Securely Attached, Beyond the Sessions. Welcome to Beyond the Sessions here on Securely Attached Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Sarah Bren, and joining me as always is Dr. Emily Upshur and Dr. Rebecca Hirschberg. Hello. Hello. Let's get right into it today. So mom writes in and she says, I just got a call from my four-year-old's teacher asking me to come in and meet with her because my daughter's having outbursts in school, yelling and having tantrums. I'm so overwhelmed and at a loss for what to do. Anything you can suggest before I go in to meet with the school? So oof, this is, this is so, can be so challenging and, and like anxiety provoking for parents. Like hearing from the school or like a care provider that there's a behavioral issue with our kids, it's, it's can lead to lots of feelings that I personally can relate to. So, but there's definitely, there are things that we can do working with the school and with our kids. And so I feel like I want to start by helping this mom realize like, even if this feels really massive, it's, it's, you, this is something that you can traverse. It's, it's doable. It's survivable. So let's get into like some strategies. Rebecca, do you want to kick this off? Sure. I mean, what I noticed about this mom was her amazing insight into just how overwhelmed she is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we've all gotten that call, right? I mean, not just heard about from our clients, them getting the call, but we've gotten the call. (laughs) We all have kids. And I don't think there's many kids that, um, I don't know, that a parent doesn't need to be called at some point. And it brings up, as you just said, Sarah, so much. And the ability to get off the phone or to stop reading the email, whatever it is, and just tune into yourself and realize how dysregulated you are, having nothing to do with what the objective situation may or may not be. But the idea, you know, you kick into sort of, first of all, you know, from a, from a mama bear safety perspective, oh my gosh, is there something going on with my kid? Mm-hmm. I'm worried about my kid. I either did or didn't know they were going through a hard time and oh my gosh, have, have I messed up in some way? Um, which leads very directly to shame, you know, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I should have been ahead of this. What, you know, it's one thing for my child's school to call if they bang their head, you know, during recess, I can't anticipate that, but I should have anticipated this. And I mean, and just to self-regulate, like to ground yourself is like the number one thing, both right after you get that call, but also when you start spinning about it in your head later, and certainly right before you actually enter the school for the meeting or get on the Zoom call for the meeting, feel your feet on the ground, you know, take three deep breaths, whatever you do to cope, drink some water, really to me, this mom just being aware of her internal state is like half the, half the challenge. And then it's addressing your, like, not to even think about the concrete strategies we're going to think about in terms of how we might address that this is happening with our kid until we're in a calmer 
place, whether again, with self-talk, meditation, read, whatever that, that to me is Mm -hmm. the number one thing that jumps out about this question. And I could go on, but someone else is (laughs) free to pick it up from me over now. (laughs) I really empathize with this mom. I think there's like, everybody knows that feeling of when you get a call from the school and, and they, and they try to always say everything's okay. And then, but sometimes you still get that feeling of like, everything's okay, but your child is having a really hard time, had a tantrum, hit somebody, hit their head. Right. I think it's, I think Rebecca's point is so really important, which is slow it down, regulate yourself, sort of like get yourself grounded so that you can kind of put it into perspective. I think what you said in the beginning, which is most parents don't escape parenthood from getting a call in some way from school that's about something that's less than desirable about your child. And I think being able to not feel so alone in that, not feel that shame and not feel like you messed up is really, you know, like not automatically go to those places Mm -hmm. is really the first step before we start to troubleshoot um, what's Mm -hmm. going on. And and just the flip side of that coin, and this is a, a, a point I rarely make, because I feel like I'm so much more concerned with parents beating themselves up and feeling shame. But I also recognize that when we beat ourselves up or feel shame, we sometimes defend against that by being a little bit more aggressive. And so I just want to like name it because it happens and it's totally understandable if it does. But it can be a time where we also want to like pause and check on our own defensiveness with the school. Because I think like the mama bear, right? I, if someone calls me and says, my kid's doing something that's, you know, challenging in school or like not appropriate or getting in is disruptive in some way. I I definitely know that place of wanting to be like, no, they're probably not like, you're not doing a good enough job of maintaining the classroom or like what going straight to like kind of a defensive position. Um, because we do want to see, we it's hard to get this feedback and we can get defensive and we can get a little, um, you know, externalizing of the blame. And I think ultimately what you guys are saying is we don't really need to think of this as a blame question, like who's at fault, which, which we want, our brains want to create an explanation and someone who's responsible. And it can be that we over- assign that to ourselves unnecessarily, that we over assign it to someone else or that we, what I think we would all agree might be a better strategy is to sort of say, hmm, perhaps this isn't really about that at all. And being more like a curious, Mm -hmm. taking a more curious open stance of like, let's see what's going on. Let's try to figure out all of the antecedents, all of the nuance, all of the context and then try to come up with a solution, which, you know, is sort of how I would approach the actual call with the school or the talk with the teacher is like, okay, how do we collect some data about what's happening? And not just in the moment, because I think that sometimes can be the focus, but we talked a lot on this podcast about like actually going back, rewinding the tape to the beginning, you know, like really watching for what could be less obviously triggering the behavior. Um, and sometimes it's like many compounding things before you actually see the behavior show up. Cause I also feel like I can imagine scenarios where you get a call from a school and they're like, they're having outbursts, they're yelling, they're having tantrums, they're being disruptive, whatever. 
And we need to stop this behavior from happening in the classroom. We have to figure out a plan to make that behavior stop. And oftentimes that conversation is not. We want to try to understand what might be building up inside this child's experience that we're then seeing the behavior poke through. And I don't know. I think sometimes that's really far more important of a question to be asking. I think it's also more important to Sarah, your point. What I keep thinking as you're saying that is, you know, when we when we approach that meeting and even the sort of quote unquote solution with the teacher to stop the behavior, we really miss the real treatment, right? Which is figuring out what's going on, which is a longer, if we can really unpack that and figure out what's going on with this child and explore that, then we can probably have a longer lasting effect of the interventions that we come up with as opposed to this needs to stop right now. Right. And that's what we all feel. We're like, just don't do that anymore. Right. But that doesn't really get to the underlying cause of what's going on. And and if we can really unpack that and be vulnerable enough and exposed Mm -hmm. enough and less defensive enough sort of to, (laughs) to be able to really see that and look at that, then I think, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast that that tends to have a more sturdy, long-lasting approach than sort of stop the behavior in the moment right then. One of the things, well, first I was going to say two things. One was just that what you were describing, Sarah, is the ever-present and always important iceberg analogy of, you know, what are you seeing on the surface versus what's mm-hmm. everything going on underneath. But what occurred to me when you were talking about rewinding the tape Um, is something that I do with kind of all the families that I work with and I try to do myself, which is that in the beginning of, let's say, a new school year, a new preschool year, a new daycare, can you partner with the teachers in a preemptive, proactive way, you know, so that when something like this happens, you're more prepared to feel ideally authentically, like this person's on your team and you're on their team. No one's tattling on anybody. No one's blaming. This is something you've set up from the beginning of by, you know, whether it's by thanking that, you know, I always write an email to my kids teacher in the beginning of the year, introducing myself saying, I'm sure they had a great summer. The beginning of school is so hard. Here's two things about my kid that they might not get from the forms. And I look forward to hearing, you know, I mean, just, so that it doesn't set off all those alarm bells necessarily that like they're against you or you need to be against them. Because ideally like the best conversations and interventions and kind of handling a behavior are going to come from parties who are all on the same team. Like you, your child and your teacher or the teacher or the principal or whoever should all ideally be wanting to help your kid. And if you can lay the groundwork for that before there's an issue I think it it takes a little bit of time and energy on the front end with huge potential benefits, you know, on the back end. Mm-hmm. And I also think it allows the teachers to then bring things up earlier, perhaps, so that there's a way, because if you open up the lines of communication, this is such a brilliant point and probably not something most people think to do, especially if you have a kid who's a little bit more like at risk of having behavioral challenges at school because you don't want to prime the teacher to see those problems. You don't want to like show up the first day of school and be like, oh, hey, by the way, my kid's going to have some issues in your class. Great to meet you. Um, (laughs) You don't want to do that. But then there's this other piece of that, which is if we can open the conversation, again, you know, being mindful, I, I recognize that fear of like not wanting to like paint 
a story about your child that's not necessary to paint, but also just to say, hi, introduce yourself, have this sort of personal communication thread already existing. If you have a teacher who feels comfortable talking to you about challenges your kid is having as they're emerging or as they're starting to really kind of be clear, showing up enough that there's reason to talk to you about it, but not not them feeling like there's no inroad necessarily. So they're going to wait until it's like, a, oh, I can't not tell you now. It's like you miss potentially time to intervene on an earlier, less acute moment. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, and I think that that dance is is tricky, right? I really do think the dance of mm-hmm. like not negatively forecasting, right? Maybe your kid's going to have a different year, Mm -hmm. you know, and you sort of want to be able to see, you know, like with a fresh set of eyes in it. And so much of what we talk about is, you know, the the way we think about it and talk about our kids is plays out in them a little, right? And so Mm -hmm. I I think I I struggle with that too, right? Because you, you both want to have your teachers have knowledge of the things that you're aware of, or or we don't know, maybe this, this, maybe this is a surprise to both this parent and this, this teacher, you know, in this, in this particular event. But I think that it's always a little bit of a balance. I think once you're there and you're in it though, to Rebecca's point, like you can always then be a collaborator, collaborator, right? Like it's never too late Mm -hmm. to then say like, okay, I hear you. And Let's try to be detectives and figure this out and let's keep in touch, right? Not like, oh, I'm so like, this is so painful and awkward and uncomfortable for me. I like never want to talk about it again. I'm going to tell my child to never do that again, right? It's more like, all right, can we unfold this over time? Like, let's check in in a week. Like, let's try a few things. Let's see. Let's let's do a little bit of trial and error and let's stay in touch. And I think that even if you didn't do that at the beginning of the year, you haven't planted those seeds, it's never too late to have that collaborative problem solving type of approach and check in so that you can, you know, hopefully monitor what's happening and and continue to see growth. I think, I think one thing, I mean, it's, it's so interesting because when I, when I said just a couple of minutes ago, my suggestion about doing that, I wasn't even thinking that it would be about the kid's behavior, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, here's two things to know about my kid. Like one, he's obsessed with the Yankees, you know, and, and just have in your back pocket some stat or something, you know, and two, he tends to do really well with humor. I mean, whatever, like, like, but even if you're thinking about the most typically developing kid who's had a wonderful year, there is literally to my mind, and I want to address that, you know, this may be a, a coming from a place of privilege. I don't know. We can kind of explore if that's an angle here. But to my mind, there's no downside ever of sending a friendly note in the beginning of the year, thanking your teacher for all their hard work that they've done with prep for, for decorating the classroom or whatever, just acknowledging how much hard work that is and telling them a couple things about your kid that may or may not be useful, whether it has anything to do with problematic behavior or not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're then the approachable parent. You're the parent who has gone out of their way to, gone out of your way to thank them so that they're never going to say like, oh, I don't want to email that parent. You know, like you're Mm -hmm. just, you're greasing the wheels for a positive relationship, you know, not in a manipulative way, just in a, I want to be that person that you are going to feel comfortable approaching as, as one of you said, kind of perhaps earlier than you might. Um, in a collaborative way, even just to say that don't know, you know, my kids had a fantastic summer. 
you know, um, beginning of school can be tricky and never know what's coming. I'm always, you know, always more than happy to collaborate as I know we're on the same team and want the best for my kid, you know, like really like an invitation to always feel like you can talk to me about stuff. Great. I think that's so good. And, but, but even for like, for the parents who are past that point, like this mom, obviously I'm going to go ahead and assume in her, you know, in writing this email that she didn't prep the teacher for an uh, invitation to always reach out to her. Fine. Totally cool. Most people don't. Um, and now she's getting this call. Sounds like it took her off guard, which means she probably perhaps didn't anticipate this or was afraid this might happen. Although there are certainly parents, I think, who have received that same call that were like, oh, I was waiting for that one. When was wondering when that, when that shoe was going to drop. And then there are parents who are like, wait, what? I don't. I don't know how to make sense of this or, or parents who are getting that call being like, thank you so much for like validating that you're experiencing this too, because I am too. And I don't, I, I'm, I'm at a loss. Like, I think there's so many, so many different ways this, this school contact could occur, occur. And it, it like they, there's, which just goes to show how often this happens and how, like really common this can be. But once you get that call, once you're sort of faced with this need to have a conversation with a school, what do you think would be a good couple steps or strategies there? Uh, So we're going to approach it non-defensively. We're going to approach it from an open, curious, detective-y kind of way. Um, We're going to definitely want to talk about antecedents and maybe even less visible antecedents like that, I think is worth kind of talking about. Like I think if your kid is having a lot of like melting, melty downy behavior in school, right. To me, that says they're, they're hitting an overload. Something is agitating them chronically and some level. Cause again, I'm assuming teachers are not usually calling about a one-off. Sometimes they do, but like the, the, we need to sit down and have a conversation as a, as a team kind of thing is not, is usually for like a problem that has become a pattern. And so if a problem is showing up as a pattern in school, to me, that says a child is getting, getting kind of like maxed out and we have to kind of figure out why. And it's oftentimes not one thing that they're reacting to. It's usually a building up of things like that, that visual metaphor of like a cup, you know, you got this, this is a podcast was hard to show you, but like, think about a cup, a glass and a pitcher of water and like every interaction your child has with the world that is in any way stimulating, frustrating, overwhelming, challenging, whatever, name it. It's like you pour a little bit of water in that. You pour a little bit of water in that cup. You pour a little bit of water in that cup. You know, eventually, if you've got a small little cup, because you're a small little person with a small little body, it's not going to take all that much to overflow. But what overflows the cup isn't the problem in and of itself. It's all of the other bits of water that have been poured in all day long. So it's like hard to unpack what those things are. But that, I think, is actually the goal. 
Yeah. And I think, I mean, there's a couple of things that come to mind as you're talking. I agree with, with everything. One is I always just want to think in terms of school or home in a situation like this, has anything changed? You know, if, if this is an issue, you know, because there's the chance, as you said, that this is like all of the water that's built up since September, but that may be because something really big changed in November, you know, and suddenly each of those things of water became more powerful. So has there been any big change at home? Has a parent lost a job? Has a grandparent gotten sick? Have you moved? Is there a new sibling? You know, and similarly, has anything changed in the classroom? Things that a teacher may not anticipate being a big deal, but like changing tables, um, change in the routine, change, you know, just wanting to look at all those things and just seeing if we can start to correlate with the understanding it may not be causal, but correlate kind of big, any big changes with a change in behavior. Um, the second thing that occurs to me, and I believe we've talked about on this past, on this podcast, because it's a, it's a framework I use a lot, um, which is Ross Green's, um, unmet needs and lagging skills. So when a child is, is demonstrating a behavior that is undesirable in some way or puzzling in some way or not, you know, whatever the word you want to use, can you see it through a lens of, is there a lagging skill, right? Is this a skill deficit, not a performance deficit, right? They're not doing it on purpose. It's, you know, is there something they don't know how to do? Maybe it's sit still, maybe it's handle a change in routine, maybe it's tolerate their bestie becoming friends with someone else, you know, is there a skill deficit mm -hmm. and, or is there an unmet need? Let's say there's a new sibling at home and they haven't spent a lot of time with their parents. They have an unmet need for affection or attention. And somehow that's coming out at school. Like really, I have found just those two phrases, unmet needs and lagging skills to be such useful for school meetings or anything else, but just such useful lenses to try to filter behaviors and, and other such things through. And, and so again, talking to this mom, going to this meeting, can she start to have an idea of what some of those might be? But even just to say that to teachers, you know, there's a way that we think of behaviors in our home. You know, we look at unmet needs and lagging skills. Can we kind of think about that for my kid for a second? And they're not mutually exclusive, needless to say. Well, and I, what I love about that, yeah. Rebecca, because partly, I, I mean, I love using sort of Ross Green's models for a lot of this stuff, but I think it also allows you to then like what these unmet needs or lagging skills allows you to sort of walk out of the meeting, hopefully with a couple of things to try, right? Like if you've identified these mm -hmm. things, these areas, a skill or a need, can we sub, can we put, can we try some of those? Can we insert them? Can we shift something? Can we change something? And maybe it's just one or two things, but I love walking out of a parent meeting with a school with some kind of plan of what the next step is. Mm -hmm. And I think that can really help with that, that framework of, you know, what, what can we tweak? What can we shift? Maybe we just label it you know, but that well, it's also such, I have found it to be such, so non-blaming, like mm -hmm. one of the, and I have somewhere and I should look for kind of a list of possible unmet needs. Yeah. So it might be that it, that a child has an unmet need for control, right? There's a new sibling at home and they feel like everything's out of control. So they have an unmet need for control. And instead of saying, you know, this kid is spoiled or demanding or rigid, or just needs to be the boss of everything to say, there's an unmet need for control. What can we give this child to control? Can this child be in charge of um, 
helping get out the band-aids when someone has a boot, you know, something like, mm-hmm. how can we channel this unmet need in a more productive way is, is to me, again, it's concrete the way you just said, Emily, but it's also just such a, a an easy and natural way to just take away any blame or judgment and think in terms of proactive steps with the understanding that all people have all of these needs. We just try to get them met in different ways, sometimes without even realizing it. And sometimes behavior is our kids' ways of demonstrating this need isn't met for me. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. And what is that model to our kids, right? In the best possible way of like, one, we see your behaviors as a communication, not a provocation and not a problem that reflects you, but more, oh, like you're asking for something. You're having a hard time getting it out in a way that's helpful. Let's help you. And it's so much more, um, you know, looking at it as a, a place, footholds for us to step in and support and scaffold rather than changing the child's behavior, changing the child's you know, attitude, changing, you know, making the child do something different. Um, obviously the outcome, the desired outcome is, is going to reflect the child in showing up in a different way. But if we're thinking about it as like, okay, lagging skills, unmet needs, it's actually the environment that's going to be taking the action, not the child. And the outcome would be the child shows up differently. Um, which puts the onus on the grownups, which I think is where it belongs in these situations. And very often, oh, I don't know, a lot of times I could see it it falling on the child, right? Let's get him a chart or her a chart, like a sticker chart. Um, and every time they change their behavior, they get this sort of sticker. I, and, and I'm not super anti-sticker stuff, but um, I think that it's the, it's the go-to strategy and it so puts it on the child to be in charge of their behaviors at all times when like, we're really trying, we're really uncovering as we, you know, peel the layers here is like, it's really actually the environment that has to be modified first. The expectations, the scaffolding, the planning ahead, the helping them preview things, the helping them find their place, the helping them find a sense of control in a a pro-social and effective way so that they're not grasping for it when it's not an, an effective or safe or appropriate way. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be that plan should be adult focused. What are the interventions that the environment is going to provide? How are we going to, how are we going to respond when X happens? How are we going to anticipate something happening and, and kind of do something different even before it occurs? Yeah. I think that's really helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. And also I feel like a plan should be short and simple, especially like at the first, you know, this, in this first stages of like kind of addressing the problem. Like I think I would want to see maybe one thing that a classroom is going to try to do. And one thing that a parent is going to do, you might have a list of many things, but we're going to sort of walk away from this meeting being like, okay, let's identify one thing we're going to change. Because also if you change 10 things, you don't know what's working and what's not working. You want to kind of be strategic, like systematic about this and change one thing at a time so that you know what was the thing that had the biggest impact 
because you are guessing, especially the four-year-old, you're going to be doing a lot of guessing initially. And that's okay. You have, that's part of this process. This is a little bit of a, you know, they're a bit of a black box. We kind of have to guess and throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks sometimes too. And that it's frustrating because that could take longer, but I do think this was a process that requires patience from the parents and the school and kind of modeling that understanding that this could take a little bit of time and that you're going to show up with the patients to kind of try something, see how it goes, reassess. That's where that like open communication piece comes in. Like, hey, let's try this and let's talk next week and see how it goes. You're modeling for the school sort of this attitude of like, this is a process. It's an iterative process. It might take a little bit of time. I'm so confident we will figure it out. I'm going to show up in this way. You sounds like you've got a plan to show up in this way. We'll do one thing at a time and we'll keep coming back together until we figure it out. But that is so disarming of an agenda to like make the behavior change. It's like if we, if everyone feels like we're doing something in the service of shifting the behaviors in the long run, the urgency gets that sort of like itch gets scratched. So it can decrease the sense of urgency, but it doesn't mean that in two weeks this should be fixed. So that's, I think, also kind of just a way to talk, like a kind of a, a tone to, to take. Yeah, I think that's important. There was also something you said earlier about how um, usually schools only reach out like if something is a pattern. And I think that's true, but sometimes a pattern for a school is like three days in a row. Um, and mm-hmm. I might, I, I just want, I'm getting like super in the weeds, but I think it's important. I would just, especially in this season, like I would think about, is your kid sick? <laughs> um, you know, is your kid getting over a virus or perhaps has a virus coming on? Maybe a check with the pediatrician. I always go to sleep. I mean, I don't always go to sleep. What I mean is I always go to looking at sleep, um, you know, <laughs> This, you know, did my child get a really late bedtime on Sunday night and it's caught up with them and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're tough at school. Like, I think everything that we're talking about still holds, but there's times that schools understandably and appropriately reach out to families when kids are seemingly acting in a different way than they're used to. But to the extent that that can be within a shorter time frame, not to neglect looking at those issues that can really affect behavior in the short term, like something medical going on or something sleep related or perhaps. I agree. Cause I think some, some teachers and some schools are like, let this is so, this is not like your kid. So what's, you know, let me, you know, I'm flagging it because let me do it early because it just doesn't seem like your kid. So I think that that's a little bit, that's also definitely a possibility. I think it also leads to not like the one thing I really would want to say to this parent is this is a moment in time. Yeah, maybe this will be a pattern, but also maybe you'll have a meeting with the school. You'll have a good good conversation and figure some things out. And and maybe you won't have another call from the school. You know, it, we don't have to catastrophize it into something that's like, oh, I can't do this. I can't be. You know, this can't be happening. Like, you know, it's also possible that they're being proactive if you approach it with openness and proactivity that you can really have a discreet sort of interaction here and, and obviously always be attuned and aware, but, but it, it doesn't necessarily beget, you know, problems, long-term problems. I feel like this is also helpful in terms of thinking about 
coming at this from a very collaborative and like open and non-defensive place. But also because we were just to bring it full circle to what Rebecca, you were saying at the beginning of the episode is like this mom has so much insight into her own overwhelm. And I think that's such a strength and to pull on that internal awareness and that self-compassion and say, and, and also that confidence that like, okay, this is hard. It is overwhelming. It's stressful and sad and frustrating and all the things. And like, we can do this. We can come up with a plan. We can take it step by step. Um, I can advocate for my kid and collaborate with the school. Those are not mutually exclusive and just sort of take it one step at a time. So I, I love this. I'm glad that this mom wrote us because I hope we answered her question. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening. As you can hear, parenting is not one size fits all. It's nuanced and it's complicated. So I really hope that this series where we're answering your questions really helps you to cut through some of the noise and find out what works best for you and your unique child. If you have a burning parenting question, something you're struggling to navigate, or a topic you really want us to shed light on or share research about, we want to know. Go to drsarahbrenton.com forward slash question to send in anything that you want Rebecca, Emily, and me to answer in this new series, Securely Attached Beyond the Sessions. That's drsarahbren.com forward slash question. And check back for a brand new Securely Attached next Tuesday. And until then, don't be a stranger.